unseen. Today we're going to continue on some thoughts regarding demons and how to overcome and how to battle. We'll move into discussing the help that we have through angelic messengers called ministering spirits in our Bibles, um, angels. And we're going to see how these two forces are at work, one for us and one against us. We'll also see today, and hopefully you'll get equipped with some skills too and, and, some, and some abilities to leave this room ready to walk out into a spirit-filled world. I'll say this again. We're spirit beings with the spirit God, with the spirit enemy, and we should battle in the heavenlies. We should battle in a spirit way. We don't battle against flesh and blood, but we battle against darkness and rulers of darkness and authorities and principalities of darkness. And so if we try to only, like I said last week, address it in the physical, we'll find ourselves falling way short of battling the proper way. How did your last week go? Did you find yourself recognizing the schemes of the enemy? Did you find yourself saying, wow, he did this before? And, and so did you take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, logos, instead of logos, it's rima, and you rima the enemy that was there? Did you find yourselves knowing that you have power and authority in Jesus Christ and it's not a power struggle, flesh and blood, but it's a truth encounter struggle. And so in light of that, we have the skills, we have the armor, we have the the ability through Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross in order for us to battle properly. I find it interesting for me personally, after studying the enemy for a very, very long time, and you have too, and it's something that I do regularly. I, I think, wow, I, I, I register and think, wow, that's a way that he's attacked. I, I, surpri- I wouldn't be surprised if he does that again. found it interesting this week, right before communion, this little fire almost started. And I realized this could be an attack of the enemy, and, and I made sure I dressed it properly. I also found that on my day off on Monday, it was just nonstop, distraction after distraction, and working to douse out these potential fires. And so when you begin to see the enemy's schemes, you battle them in a spirit, spiritual way. How many of you this morning, you don't need to raise your hand, how many of you who were here last week took time every day this week to put on the armor of God? How many of you woke up this morning and haven't yet to walk through this world with the armor of God on you? If you haven't, you're vulnerable. If you haven't, then you are pickings for the enemy. You made yourself vulnerable. You made yourself available for the enemy to come after you. When Jesus was tempted with, by the enemy, have you ever processed what he did and what might have taken place there? He had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. And then it says that the tempter, the devil, came to him. Now let me pull away a little bit and, and, and propose what I think could have happened there. This is obviously something that I, I believe, and obviously I won't take a bullet in the head for this, but if Christ was tempted, Hebrews 4.15 says, that we, we don't have a, 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 a comforter, or we don't have a God who's unable to sympathize with us, but we have one who's able to sympathize with us because he's been tempted in every way, just like we have been tempted. So if that's the case, how does the enemy tempt us? How does Satan tempt us? Does he appear in fleshly form? Does he walk up and he has his little horns and his pitchfork and he comes on the scene and says, here I am. If that was the case, would you 
easily be able to discard what he had to say because he was in physical, bodily, fleshly, wrapped spirit form. I believe this is a personal opinion on this, obviously, and there's many that would agree with me and some would disagree. I believe that when Jesus was tempted by Satan, that it was in the same way that we're tempted. I don't believe it was there in physical form. If you look at some of the verb usage there, he came, he took, the same way he came, he comes to us and he takes us. I believe it came from the outside. I believe the temptation came through words. I just personally believe that if he's been tempted in every way, just like we are, that he was tempted. And so when he came to him, what was Jesus' response? He spoke scripture out loud. He spoke the word, just like we should. He spoke verbally. When the accuser came, he verbalized. He stood firm, but he spoke to the devil. He spoke out loud. And people often ask me, how do you and why do you declare or why do you speak verbally against an enemy that's real and active? I look at scripture and I see through scripture in Jesus' life, he spoke verbally. I also see that Jesus, it, when, he, the, when he was confronted, verbalized what he was saying. Scripture also shows us that the early church, you don't need to turn there in Acts chapter 8. It says, Peter stood up against Simon the sorcerer, who was filled with the devil, who was demonized, and spoke in the strong name of Jesus that he must repent, and told him to be gone. He verbalized it. He spoke it out loud. And so... That's one of the primary reasons I think we should speak out. Rima, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Rima, speak the Word. Also in Acts chapter 13, verses 6 to 11, Paul spoke out loud to the demon, filled Simon Bar-Jesus, and, and told him to stop in the name and the power of Jesus. He spoke. He told the evil spirit, you must stop. You must be gone in the name of Jesus. And so one of the primary reasons I believe we should verbalize is Scripture, the enemy, cannot stand truth. We're not battling in a physical way, but we're battling in a spiritual way. And our greatest weapon is the Word of God because it's truth, and Satan knows that he can't handle the truth. So he tries to deceive us, like I talked about last week. He tries to throw these lies at us, and he tries to get us to believe the lies. What I know is when we battle the enemy, this is a truth encounter, not a power encounter. Please always keep that in mind. I don't know where your journey will take you. I don't know if you'll find yourselves in front of a person that, that's been demonized, a person that's oppressed by, by a demon. I don't know if that's your journey, if you've ever experienced that. But keep in mind this. If you ever walk into an encounter and you ever find yourself in a situation Walk away, pull away, stand firm, submit to Jesus, James 4, 7 says. Resist the devil and, and remind yourself, this isn't supposed to be a physical encounter. So, at no point in this, I see in scripture, at no point do I see that we're supposed to wrestle or hold down or push back. We're supposed to, to battle by speaking truth. In fact, Dr. Neil Anderson gives many, many examples in his books regarding battling physical demons. Should we encounter, when we encounter someone who's oppressed, someone who's been demonized, should we physically try to stop them when they come at us? He said, no, hold your ground in the name of Jesus. You can speak out in the power of God and they will 
be stopped. He tells stories that where, where people who are oppressed, where they, they've opened themselves up and, and they try to come after him, he just holds his ground firm, resists the devil. He's had people who've run out of his office instead of chasing them down. It's not a physical encounter. It's not flesh and blood. He just waits and he prays and often they come back in the room sheeplessly and he speaks truth to them. So whenever you encounter something like this, don't try to bind, physically bind. Don't try to hold. It's a truth encounter. Let me give you a personal example. After preaching one Sunday morning here at Grace, weary, tired, given everything I had, people were beginning to, to stack chairs up and, and beginning to, to pile them up and it was time to go home. There was a person that was oppressed by a demon, stood up about right here, stood up on their chair, and began to accuse me in a voice that wasn't their voice. It was a voice of a dark male person. This person stood up and began these accusations against me, which weren't true. Things like, you don't really love these people. You just pretend. You're here because you want to be paid. You lie. You don't do that. And while people were leaving and people were setting up chairs, this person began accusation after accusation after accusation. This voice that wasn't this person's own voice speaking out at me while I was here. My first response was what Scripture says. It says to submit to the Lord, resist the devil, and stand firm in his truth. And so I did exactly that. This person began to throw accusation, accusation through this voice that wasn't their own. And so I began to, to pray and I began to speak in the name of Jesus and his power and his authority and held my ground. Meanwhile, what was great to see is others who had never been exposed to anything like this began to just stop. I watched the whole auditorium, about 100 people were left and people were around the top. I watched them do the same thing. They began to pray. Some weren't certain what was going on. Some tried to rush to the, to the care of this person, thinking that there was a way to care for them. This person began to crawl around on the floor and, and almost as if an animal, speaking this voice that wasn't their own. I just held my ground and declared who I was through the power of Jesus Christ. And eventually this person wasn't, wasn't the person speaking. It was the demon speaking through the person began to really almost self-mutilate themselves, biting their tongue, and was completely out of control. Eventually, we prayed, and that moment moved on. What really moved me during that time and really touched my heart is that my children that were, able, were here, I watched my own children stand at the edges, not in shock, but knowing that, you know what? I'm going to pray for my dad. And so they prayed out loud to the powerful God that we serve, and, knowing, and just knowing this, we have power and authority in Jesus Christ. I have found myself on many encounters. If there's a bullseye on your back, you will find yourselves in situations that you'll be accused of all kinds of things. I've often had Christians come and accuse me of things that aren't true. The enemy uses all kinds of devices, all kinds of schemes to try to derail you. One of the things that really deeply saddened my heart was this individual. This individual, after it was all said and done, had no idea what had taken place. And almost was shameful after this person heard what took place. 
Because this person, somewhere along the line, had opened themselves up, given Satan a foothold into their lives, and because of that, they were oppressed and gave the enemy a spot to influence and control them. It was a very, very sad day for me as I watched that unfold in this person's life. Why was it sad? Because a couple of things. One, this person wasn't properly equipped. This person was a Christ follower. This person could have been able to battle. I want to give you some, some reality, some truths today regarding demons, in a, regarding our protection against them. Let me begin by saying this. I, once again, I encourage you to take notes. I encourage you to write things down. You won't remember all this. The first thing I want to remind you of is this. Protection from them should not be taken for granted. Protection from a demon should not be taken for granted. You can't say this. Well, I'm a Christ follower. I'm born again. I'm redeemed. I, I, I don't have to worry. Jesus died on the cross. I gave my life to Christ. I'm, I'm his son or daughter. And so I'm okay. I, I can walk through this life. Listen to me. Don't take that for granted. There's no way that you can walk through this life without being properly dressed, properly equipped, properly clean, without having a, a, a sense of vulnerability. Grab your Bibles and let's begin in Ephesians chapter 6. Hold your hand up if you need a Bible and our ushers will be glad to put one in your hand. Turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Let's look at verses 10 through 13. I want to go back and repeat some of these truths. Ephesians chapter 6 verses 10 to 13. If you need a Bible, hold your hand up. Ushers will put one in your hand. Like I said last week, you should own a Bible. If you, if you don't have a Bible, take this Bible home. This is the greatest weapon that you could have. If you're being attacked, read the word of God out loud. Rima, speak truth to whatever's around you. Stand with me and we'll read this together. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 13. Ephesians 6, verses 10 to 13. Ready, read. Finally, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God. So that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then. You may have a seat. The reason I want to open up is this is this. You can't take for granted that once you put the armor on, that it's with you every day. This verb put is an active indicative action. It means a regular repeated action. It's something that you should do daily. It's something that you should do regularly. As regularly, like I said last week, as, as you change your clothes and get dressed. If you don't get dressed spiritually, you're vulnerable. You've given the enemy a foothold, a target to come and oppress and influence and potentially control your life. It's a daily thing that you need to do. In addition to that, turn to Romans chapter 13. Turn back to Romans chapter 13. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. In addition to that, look what Paul says in Romans chapter 13. Look at verse 14. Romans 13 and verse 14. We'll begin with verse 13. 
Same author, same man, inspired by the Holy Spirit, wrote this in Romans 13, 13. Let us behave decently, as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, do what? What's the word? Clothe yourselves with what? The Lord Jesus Christ. Stop there. Not only are we to arm ourselves with the spiritual armor, we are to clothe ourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says this, and do not think about how to gratify the what? Desires of the what nature? And so Paul is saying this, not only should we put on the armor of God, but we should clothe ourselves with righteousness, not seeking to go entice the fleshly part, those things, those cravings of sin. He said we shouldn't go after the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. We shouldn't, we shouldn't toil in those things and gratify ourselves on them. If we do, we open ourselves up to being attacked by the enemy. You can lose your protection if you toil in satisfying and gratifying yourself with those, the lusts of the flesh. Whatever that is. Some it's food. Some it's words. Some it's, it, it's, it's a, a sexual things. Some it's, it's attitude. It's a variety of things. If you appease, if you feed that part of your life, Paul is saying, hey, don't expect protection as a result. Do not go there. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. One person said it this way, regarding, suppose you had a pile of cow manure, a truckload came in, and it was in your front yard. They dumped it in the middle of the summer. I don't know why they would do it, but they dumped it in your yard in the middle of the summer. So run with me here. And the sun's out, it's hot. And so what what begins to happen when there's manure is that all these flies collect all over this manure. And so you walk out your front door, you get in your car, you get in your driveway to shoot some hoops. Flies are everywhere. As soon as you open your front door, they rush into your house. There are flies everywhere. Now, in order for you to get rid of these flies, it would be ludicrous to go out with a fly swatter and try to kill every fly. You would be at the end of yourself trying to kill these flies. It would be impossible. It's like, in order to get rid of these flies, why would you go out and try to kill them with the fly swatter? Some might say, well, well, we could go out and we could throw large blankets over the, the manure pile. Listen, if you throw large blankets over the manure pile, the, 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 the flies will still show up. You can't cover up this sin and, and ask and expect the flies or the demons in our case, to flee by just covering up with armor. It's like, I'm going to put on the armor of God. Today I put it on. I put on helmet, salvation, sword, spirit, shield, faith, breastplate, run your belt, truth, and feet, shot, preparation, peace. And, and last night, you, you viewed pornography. And last night, you had this eating disorder. And this morning, you got on your phone and you gossiped someone. Or this week, you sent an email and you falsely accused someone. And then wake up every day and say, I'm going to put on the armor of God right over this pile of manure. It is impossible to expect, Paul is saying, it is impossible to expect protection if you're gratifying the fleshly part of your life. So that happens regularly. 
someone says, well, I put on the armor of every day. How come, how come I'm still getting pushed around? Maybe, just maybe, you're feeding this pet sin in your life, this pet addiction in your life. And maybe, just maybe, all you're doing is throwing a jacket and clothes over top in order to get rid of the flies, in order to get rid of the pestering demons, you need to take a big backhoe in your front yard and scoop it up and get rid of it. Same with our lives. In order for us to have proper protection, we need to get rid of the sin in our lives. Dr. Unger says it this way. He says, the Holy Spirit indwelling the believer, ungrieved by sin, and unquenched by disobedience most certainly precludes an invasion by a demon spirit. Now, people often ask me, well, how can a Christ follower, show me in Scripture then where a Christ follower is oppressed, where, where, where a Christ follower is vulnerable to influence or control by a demon. How is that possible? Like I said last week, I don't believe that a Christ follower can be possessed. I believe a Christ follower can be oppressed or demonized. Let me show you an example of what I'm talking about. Turn to the book of Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5, one book back. Acts chapter 5 and verse 1. Acts chapter 5. Here's a real example. Plus, I could tell you many personal examples of people that I've faced. Acts chapter 5. In fact, I opened with one. That person was a Christ follower that I spoke about. Acts chapter 5 and verse 1. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of it for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that what? Satan has so what? Filled your heart. Stop right there. How is it? He's looking at him and saying, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart? Some say, well, he wasn't a believer. There's no way he was a believer. Satan couldn't influence him or control him. Now listen, just pause for a second. Now take some of these things I just, just showed you. If there's an area that you feed, sin area, in this case, Ananias is feeding a lying behavior. It's a sin. He opened up, regardless if he put on the armor of God, himself to being attacked and influenced by the enemy. Look what else it says after this. It says this. How is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the what? Now, pause. No one's lying to the Holy Spirit unless they're born again. An unbeliever doesn't have the Holy Spirit residing in them. So, if Ananias, I believe, was a Christ follower, why would he be accused of lying to the Holy Spirit unless he was following after Jesus? Watch what happens next. And have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to men, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and what? And great what? Seized all who heard what had happened. Then the young man came forward, wrapped his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me. Is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yep, she said, that's the price. Peter said to her, how could you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? How could 
An unbeliever tests the Spirit of the Lord unless the Spirit of the Lord lives in them. Read on here. Look, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet, and what? Then the young men came in, finding her dead, carried her out, and buried her beside her husband. Now, this next verse is crucial for why I believe this was a Christ follower. These were Christ followers. Great fear seized the whole what? And all who heard about these events. Why would great fear seize the church? The only reason great fear receives the church is because someone in the church just lied to the Holy Spirit and they're dead. There's no doubt in my mind that Ananias and Sapphira were followers of the way. And it says, back up, chapter 5, look again. Peter asked him, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart? Controlled, influenced, not possessed, but oppressed by a demon. So, all over Christianity are these followers of Christ who, who are born again, trying to live out their faith, but if they're twirling in sin, you open yourselves up to the enemy's attacks on your life. You must bring sin to light, or you will remain in bondage. Now, it gives the enemy a foothold in your life. That's why, when I gave that stat last week, I believe this to you, even personally. 85% of Christians are in some form of bondage. 85%. Only 15% in our world, 15% are, live in total freedom. There are people who have addictions. They have this, these things that somehow they're still chained to their past. They're connected to their past. I believe they are, they, they, they are in bondage to things that they've done in the past and even presently because of sin in their lives. And so they're regularly buffeted by the enemy. They try to push him off and he attacks because there's a spot in their lives of vulnerability. You could have the armor of God on. Yet, if you don't deal with your sin in your life, you open yourselves up to control and oppression by the enemy. You've given him a foothold. Romans chapter 6 and verse 12 says this, Do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey its lust. Many Christ followers have strongholds in their lives. And so what we're going to try to walk through is to give you freedom and let you find freedom so that you can, at your very best, push away, hold back, and not have to be concerned because you could stand firm and walk in freedom and the power and the redemptive potential that Christ wants you to walk in. Ephesians chapter 4 and verses 20 to 28 gives us that example of, of things that people toil in. And it says that there are strongholds. We give the devil a foothold. Let me best describe it this way. Here, here's the best way I can describe it. Think about the front door of your house. You're on the inside of the house. I'm coming to your front door of your home. And so the enemy stands at your door, waiting to get entrance into your heart, waiting to get entrance into your life. And all he waits for is this little crack to get into. But if you're fully armored up, if you dealt with the sin in your life, if you're, like I talked last week, if your faith is growing, all faith, I believe the shields of the faith are different sizes for different people based upon how much time you're spending in God's word and how you're growing. If you're armored up, you're clean, you've confessed, 
And we talked about what real confession was last week. It's not just, God, I'm sorry, I'm moving on. It's speaking back what you've done, the very thing, the very sin that you've committed. It's asking for forgiveness. It's saying, I'm sorry. It's renouncing it and moving on. I believe that most Christians haven't truly confessed their sins. They're just, they're just saying, I'm sorry. There should be a turn of repentance too. Anyhow, you're at the, you, the enemy's at the door. You're on the inside. As soon as the door is open, he's looking for vulnerability. He's looking for you to be vulnerable so he can get in. And so what he does, as soon as there's a crack, as soon as there's this weakness, this sin, he sticks his foot between the door and the door frame. And if you were trying to shut that door, you can't shut it. Why? Because he's got a foothold. He's got his foot. He's not completely inside, but he's got his foot. You could push on that door and try to shove it, but you won't close it because you've given him a foothold because of sin in your life. That's a picture of many Christians. And by the way, this is a regular battle. This is not like, well, he doesn't have a foothold in my life and he won't have it again. It's daily battle. And probably in this room, Satan has his foot into your heart and you wonder, why am I be living such a defeated life? Because you've given him a foothold and what he does, he comes in and he gets a stronghold on your life. And all of a sudden, he has you in bondage. And it's like you're dragging this chain through your life. It's like this thing from your past, you can't cut it off. And the reason you can't is because you keep feeding it. You keep satisfying it. You keep craving after that same thing. It's his intention to keep you living defeated. I often picture it this way too. Most of you have seen climbing walls. Have you ever seen climbing wall? Like you go to a recreational place and there's a climbing wall. And there's handholds and there's footholds. And so you work your way up by grabbing a hold of these handholds and these footholds. You work your way up. Now picture you at the top. The enemy's at the bottom. We are seated with Jesus Christ. Scripture tells us we're seated far above all powers and authorities. He is subject to us. There is no way that he could ever get to us based upon our position in Jesus Christ. But when you toil in sin, you know what happens? You give him a foothold. He starts climbing. You give him another handhold. You give him another foothold. You give him another one, another one, another one. And sooner or later, he gets to you and he gets to your heart and he begins to influence and control your lives. So you got to cut loose the footholds. You got to remove the foothold and the strongholds and the handholds. And the only way you do it is through proper confession and repentance. Going in a total different direction than the direction you were going in before. It's not God, I'm sorry. And you go back and you do it again. It's this hatred for sin. It's your detest, you detest it. You know that you, 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 you've harmed your God in his name. It's brokenness over it. And it's turning and repenting and confessing and going in a different direction. Only then will you find true freedom. Origen, one of our early church fathers, said it this way. The true Christian... I mean, the one who has submitted to God alone in his word will suffer nothing from demons, for he is mightier than demons. Listen to me, church. God didn't call us to live in bondage. You can be free. Why do you want to live in bondage? Why do you want to live in a, with these addictions in your lives? Why do you want to let sin master you? We have 
not because of any good in us, but based on the work of the cross and the work of the grave, we can live as more than conquerors. And we can walk in freedom in Jesus Christ. It's time that the church walks like Christ intended it to walk. And we can do it, not based upon any good in us, but because of the power exerted on the cross that's been demonstrated and lives in us. Ephesians 1 says that same power that rose Jesus from the grave lives in us. Where is it at? Man, that is awesome thoughts. You can overcome anything in your life in the power of Jesus Christ. A disciplined, obedient life keeps demons at bay. So when does the enemy come? Well, in my experience, here's when I know he attacks. You know, like I said last week, if you're not studying the enemy, you better start taking notes. I jot down things when I find myself being tempted. It's like, oh, I felt tempted there. Oh, when I'm there, I get tempted. Oh, that happens when I'm there. And so mentally, I'm collecting these things. Listen, this is a real war that we're in. It's not like one day there's not going to be a war. This isn't like, hey, March 5th, 1974, we had a war. This isn't World War I that had an end. This is the battle for the rest of your lives. You better believe it, and you better be armed every single day. If you're not, you will get pushed around. And so I study the enemy. I write down things. Wow, when that happened, boy, I didn't respond real well to that. And so I'm mentally collecting these thoughts. I am studying my opponents. Any good coach studies his opponent. Any good teammate any good soldier studies the schemes of his enemy. And you know when he attacks? It's so classic, and some of us don't even realize it. It's when we're in a weakened condition. You show me someone that's physically sick. I will show you someone that's vulnerable to being attacked by the enemy. Why? It's because they're, they're sick, and all of a sudden it checks out their attitude, and they say, oh, it's horrible. I feel sick, and I feel... And their focus is on trying to get healthy. And so they take this medicine, and and they forget about spirit world that they live in. And you watch the enemy come in. And all of a sudden, this attitude turns south. And you don't feel good, so you're angry. And, and your defenses drop down. And all of a sudden, this addiction that you have, you find yourself being tempted by the enemy. And you turn to that. And you watch this person who's physically sick just getting pestered and beat up by the enemy. Let me tell you, when you are sick, you better be equipped. You better be, listen, before you take your medicine, take the medicine of the Word of God so that you can be powerful when you're weak. I watch people who get influenced often when they, when they're, when they make a move. They move from one house to another house because all they're thinking about is details and pain and, 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 and getting to the next place. They're so focused on that task at hand. I watch people in job changes. They're changing jobs. It's like, or unemployed, all they're thinking about is getting a job and, and, and filling out resumes and, and writing this and providing. All of a sudden, all the, and the enemy gets them busy thinking about all that. And meanwhile, they don't manage the, the other areas in their lives. And I can tell you what, I've seen over and over again when people, like, they drop off. It's like, where's so-and-so? Well, you know, she lost her job and she's not around. <laughs> Wonder why. Well, she didn't have a job. She's kind of down. Wonder why. Well, she's, she gave the enemy a foothold in, in, in their life. You show me someone during the holidays, most enemy attacks are during holidays. You're thinking, oh, I got to get this together and the weird uncle's coming by and I got I to put up with 
this and put up with that and I got to cook this and, and everyone's running around busy and they're not arming themselves and they're not clothed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ and, and they're not confessing sin because the in-laws are coming. And I can tell you what happens. You're going to get attacked and controlled and influenced by the enemy. Someone, show me someone who's out of shape physically. I'll show you someone who has a propensity to be an attack. I don't feel good. Sick, and they're, they're, they're nodding off at work because they're tired because their heart's not in good condition, and, and they're, they're tired and weak and napping, and instead of praying, they're napping, and, and they're eating the wrong stuff, and the, their body chemically is just, it's just in a whack, and it's like they want Twinkies now. They want a lot of them now instead of the Word of God. It's like, you show me a person who's physically out of shape, I'll show you someone who's vulnerable to attacks of the enemy. Listen to me. If one area of your life, physically, emotionally, spiritually, is out of whack, and there's poison, it poisons the other areas too. You see, you neglect that. It's like, oh, really? I mean, if, if I'm kind of just out of shape really badly, and I haven't been exercising, and yeah, yeah, guess why? You're not mentally alert. You should be the sharpest person in the room. The enemy comes, like, well, they haven't ran for 10 years, and they haven't exercised at all. And boy, about 2 o'clock's when they really get weak, and that's when they want that Snickers. I'm coming. Or about 8 a.m. on Monday morning, they go get that monster drink, and they think that some of that energy drink's going to help them. I'm coming. Listen, the enemy has been doing this for century after century. Listen, start studying. Be equipped and prepared. We have victory promised to us. But we got to walk in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. To get free, too, you must do an inventory of your life. And you must confess. I've said this last week, but it's worth repeating. You know, Neil Anderson has some great stuff. It's called The Steps to Freedom. It's seven steps to freedom. And one of the things he really encourages, and I do, too, I've walked people through the steps to freedom is to go back and inventory your life. Go back and ask these questions. Have I ever been involved in something that was a cult? Have I ever been a part of something occultique? Have I ever toiled in, in, in satanic things recently or a long time ago? And if I have, what you do is you, you set before God and you ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, bring to memory things that I can't think of on my own. And you go back, and, and, and what you do, you ask the Spirit to bring those to light. Here's a classic example how the enemy has so many people distracted. Read a Facebook, read a social network. How many people put regular astrology reports? Let me tell you, that is work of the devil. You read that stuff, and you say, well, I'm a Cancer, and I'm a Capricorn. I'm Aquarius. I'll tell you what you are. You're being demon-attacked. You open yourselves up to that stuff. Listen to me. This isn't... We're, this isn't, we're not playing Candyland here, church. This is a real battle in the heavenlies. And so if you toil around in that, you give the enemy ground to influence you. You have these people like they're at a fair, they're, at a, they're going somewhere and they're going out this, this, this carnival. And it's like, boy, there's a palm reader. And so their buddies and gals say, hey, let's go to the palm reader. Just have some fun. So you walk in, read my palms. Let me tell them what you're doing. What you've done is says, here, enemy, take my heart and control me. You go to a palm reader, you go to a psychic, you are opening yourself up to classic Satan. It's like, oh, it didn't hurt. It was just told, we laughed about it. <laughs> and so did Satan. Listen to me, church. 
you got to know what your enemy does. Classic things that the enemy does. But you got to go back. What are some areas? Well, I was involved in sexual morality as a teenager, and I, I was involved in drugs and, and drunkenness, and I have this gossip and this slander. I really slandered people, and I accused people falsely, and I believed some lies, and, and I have this eating disorder. And, and so to cope, when I'm not feeling good or I'm stressed, I eat, 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 eat. But it's okay. It's not as bad as, yes, it is. And so you got to go back and you say, God, let's confess. God, I did this, God, and it was wrong. God, this is what I did. And I, I declare that I shouldn't have done it. It is sin. And God, I'm going to turn and go in a different direction. I'm going to repent of this. And God, I ask for your forgiveness. Please, Lord, forgive me of that sin. And God, I am sorry as a result of that. And God, as a result of confessing, and God, as a result of forgiving, and as a result, God, of, of being sorry, I repent. And you know what? I'm going in a different direction from here on out. That's how you get clean, church. Go back. Otherwise, this thing from your past will haunt you the rest of your life. And it manifests itself in a different way. Oh, you see it, these eating disorders. And someone, women, when they were young, someone, they, they weren't as pretty as, and someone didn't show them attention, and they believed the lie that the enemy had. And so all their lives, they got this bondage that's staying skinny and having this, this body of a, a model and believing that's beautiful. And so your whole life, and then it manifests itself in an eating disorder. You become bulimic. It's like, what's going on? You're in bondage. You got to go back and say, when did this start? I believed a lie. Every single bondage moment, someone believed a lie. So we speak truth. I'm a child of Jesus Christ, and he doesn't create junk. Listen, when I hear someone say, well, we're just sinners saved by grace. No, you're the righteousness of God. That's who you are. See, we have this view. It's like, oh, I'm just so-and-so, and I'm just saved by grace, and praise God. Listen to me. No, you're more than that. Our God doesn't create junk. That's a lie when you say that. I'm getting fired up here. See, I want, I want you to find freedom. It is possible to be free of your addictions and these chains of your past. Bondage manifests itself out in sinful physical behavior, sexual morality, eating disorders, pride, and so much more. Let me also remind you of this. If a child is raised in a home where the house is clean. Let me explain that. Where the father does where he's supposed to do and he guards the gate, he doesn't let pornography enter those doors. Where he guards the computers. Where he holds the remote and makes sure there's not improper viewing. Where he doesn't allow sexual immorality in movies and he doesn't, perp he doesn't attend movies where couples are having sex. Oh, it's not bad. We're adults. And allow his kids to see that. Listen, where the dad stands at the gate and the power of Jesus Christ says, not on my watch, not on my watch. Listen, your child won't be predisposed to those behaviors if you guard the gate, men. But listen, if you don't know what you're doing, you're giving that child, just like secondhand smoke brings cancer to a person. Someone in the house is smoking. The person that, that, that doesn't smoke often gets cancer. It's like, well, I haven't smoked. Well, I've lived with this lady, and she smoked her whole life, and I got cancer because of them secondhand. It's the same way in the spirit world. You open yourselves up to playboy. You open yourself up to gossip and slander. You open your house up to that. Guess what? Your children get the secondhand of that. 
it predisposes them to the very same thing. Guard the gate with the help of Jesus Christ. Let me give you some other good news in battling the enemy. Here's some really, really practical ways to battle the enemy. Demons hate worship music. Listen to me. I I mean this, they hate it. They hate worship music. So instead of always listening to your country, nothing intrinsically wrong, nothing intrinsically wrong with, with other music. I'm not here to batter music. I listen to all kinds of music. But listen, rotate some worship music into that. Fill your house with worship. Demons hate the name of Jesus in a song. Now listen, if they hear Jesus something in a song, they're not bothered by that. But if it's worship music, they hate it. Worshippers were often sent out first into the battle lines. Sent out first. They made the ground able and ready for the soldiers to come in. Demons hate worship music. And you worship in Jesus' name, demons just scatter. They can't stay around for that. When I went to visit my mom recently, I wanted to paddle for my mom. She walks through some of the stages of Alzheimer's, and I know her mind's not alert as well, and she's weak. It's not always the mom that I remember. So I wanted to battle for my mom because when you're weak, demons want to attack. And so my wife even encouraged me to do this. She said, Jim, when you get there, just play worship music in the house. So I did. I just threw my computer up and threw the iTunes on, and I played worship music all through the day. Why? Because I was battling for my mom's heart. Because she couldn't think and talk like she normally did. And so the best thing I could do was battle for my mom. I could be the gatekeeper for her where my stepdad was in the hospital. Listen, we have tools. Use them. Also, pray through your homes that the blessing of God will be in it. When's the last time you walked through your home with your family and just dedicated it to the Lord? And, and when's the last time you opened every door of your closet in your garage, in your basement? I've taken my family through and we pray through our house. And I love when my, my, my children join me in on that and they pray through them because they're the priesthood of the believers. Jesus Christ is their God too. And, and so we bless our home and dedicate it to God. By the way, if you want a home blessing, you don't need to call a pastor. Jesus Christ, the three in one lives in you. You can walk in his power and authority and do it. Let me just give you some other practical things. When you buy used cars and you get secondhand clothing and secondhand toys and, 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 and new cars, and have you ever considered that maybe some person who was a saint in this built this thing? That maybe someone else owned this and they cast a spell on it and it ends up in your house? How many of you even pray over stuff in your home? You just buy it and you bring it in. I'm sure every Christian, I'm sure every employee at Walmart's a Christian. So we just bring this stuff in. Listen, if they cast a spell on it, don't you dare think the enemy won't look for another avenue to come in. You need to pray over your vehicles. You don't know what they were used for before. And we just get in, we drive. We say, hey, look at this. I got this for 10 bucks. Well, 10 bucks of demons. See, you've got to study the enemy. When's the last time you prayed over your possessions? Maybe the lingering effects of some of the things that you toiled in the past is why you're still in bondage. 
I pray over everything and dedicate it to God and say, God, just bless it. Immoral atmospheres in a home predisposes a child to that same behavior. Dr. Neil Anderson even said for those that adopt these precious kids who don't have parents who've been probably thrown in the streets or discarded, a lot of these kids come from homes where parents were Satanists or involved in worshiping animists and and weren't God followers. And so this child was, was predisposed to the spirit demon world. And so we adopt these precious kids and we bring them into our homes and we don't even pray over them and go back and say, Lord, Bless this child and whatever they've been predisposed to in Jesus' name. I, I de- declare that, that they are, they are going to be children of God and, and pray over them. Even precious foster kids that we bring and We bring these babies and children into our homes who've, who've lived with parents. A lot of the parents hated the kids and, and didn't worship God and predisposed them to behaviors. And, and so we bring them into our houses and we don't even pray over that. We just kind of think, well, I'm sure it was a Christian home. Listen to me. It's time we wake up, Christians. The enemy is real. He'll find a way to, to, to get into your heart. The good news is this. We don't have to do this alone. The Bible tells us that we have angels called ministering spirits who want to battle for us. Hebrews 1.14 says they're here to assist us. They're sent to serve us, and boy, do they ever do a great job of that. We have guardian angels. Some say, why do you call them guardian angels? Because in Psalm 91, verses 11 and 12, it says, God will command his angels to guard you. Keep in mind this too. Here's, keep this in mind. Remember this whole power thing. Demons don't target angels. They target humans. It's not like a demon's flying around and he's looking for an angel to get. The reason he encounters an angel is because the angel's protecting you and you called him in for assistance. It's not like I'm going to get these angels. No, demons are after humans, not after angels. And the only reason there's an encounter is because they're there to protect you. Yes, I believe we have guardian angels. Someone said, do we have one specific one? I don't have a clue. It doesn't matter. We have angels and praise God for it. Had a guy tell me recently this past year, Carl Wallace, we were in prayer and county. He says, you know what, Pastor Jim, I bet you've worn out a few guardian angels. <laughs> I often pray for angelic help. I woke up this morning and said, God, please send your angels to 20081 County Road 46, New Paris, Indiana. God, send your angels to 20076 County Road 36, Goshen, Indiana. God, send your angels to 200 Seminary Drive, Beta Hall. I know it needs it there. God, send your angels to, to Alpha Hall, Grace College. And so I prayed over my family. I prayed over my wife. And before I leave the home, I'm praying regularly. I p- grab a hold of my wife and just grab her and just say, God, I pray for your favor and blessing and protection over our family. I pray you'll pack us full of wisdom. God, I pray that we'll hear your voice and, and we'll respond to it today. And we'll see as you, as you see today. In Jesus' name, amen. That's the responsibility. We're supposed to be the watchmen on the walls protecting and saying, not on our watch and not in my family. Men, that's our responsibility. Husbands. Angels are guardian angels. and They're created beings, by the way. So... They can't read our minds either. But they have superhuman strength. They're not omniscient. They're not all-knowing. They're not omnipotent. The only uncreated, infinite God is the three-in-one. 
First Peter 1.12 says they continue to learn. Hebrews 12 tells us that they are indestructible. They will exist forever. 2 Kings 19.35 says that one angel, listen, one angel slew 185,000 Assyrians. Woo! One angel. They were encamped and God called out and they cried out to God, God help us. God sent one angel, 185,000. That, you think that angel's dead? No. I want that angel protecting two zero zero eight one counter one forty six. God send that one. I don't know what his name is, but bring him. You cry out to God; He sends His ministering spirits to help us. Angels were sent to our Savior in Luke twenty two verse forty three to strengthen Him when He was weary before He went to the cross in the Garden of Gethsemane. An angel was sent to the lion's den. To shut off the mouth of the lion. Angels battled demons, it tells us in Daniel chapter 10, for 21 days. The message was to come, and they battled, and they fought, and they protected, and finally won. What does it mean to us? It means this we have an army waiting to come to our rescue. But listen, church, you gotta be clean. You gotta be clean. You can't just walk and send and say, God, <laughs> send your angels. You got to be clean. You got to walk in as much holiness as possible. In any combat or war or battle, an infantry of soldiers, when they're surrounded on all sides, calls in for air assault, for the attack of the airplanes to drop the bombs and say, gives the coordinate points out. We can do that too. If we find ourselves hemmed in, all around, we can call out to God, God, send in the aerial attack right now. And God sends in angels, listen to me. They can keep at bay demons and you will be safe. They're there to protect us. The Bible even tells us in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 2 that we can entertain angels too. I have a couple instances in my life where I believe that I encountered an angel. Billy Graham tells this story regarding angels. He said, Reverend John Patton was a missionary to the New Hebrides Islands. One night, hostile natives surrounded his mission headquarters. Intent on burning the Pattons out and killing them, he and his wife prayed all through the night for protection. When the daylight came, they looked out with amazement to find that the attackers had left. A year later, the chief of the tribe converted to Jesus. Mr. Patton asked him what kept him and his men from burning down their house and killing them. The chief replied with surprise, Who were all those men you had with you there? Patton replied, There were no men there, just my wife and I inside. The chief told them that they had seen hundreds of big men in shining garments with drawn swords in their hands angelic messengers. Church, listen to me. This isn't Candyland. And I'm not trying to sensationalize. We're in a battle. We need to be equipped. We need to study our enemy. And we have a whole slew of angels ready to help us. Lord, help us today. 
Help us, God, to walk in the power and authority of Jesus Christ. Help us to remove the strongholds in our lives. Jesus, we are powerful because of you, and there's a mission field that needs us. And the enemy's winning in a lot of homes, knocking off key people in key homes. Too much is at stake, Jesus. Many more need Jesus. Help us to walk in victory. In Jesus' name, amen.